0: Father God, we've heard this story and this story matters to us. And it matters to us because it matters to you. It matters because it's real. It really happened. We know that you know that. Lord, let us remember that. Let us remember that these were real people and in fact are real people in your kingdom even now. And the things that they faced are not unlike what we face. And the challenges that you helped them to overcome are like the challenges even right now that you are helping us to overcome. Lord, wherever there is among us a Naomi, one whose name once meant pleasant, but who now says, call me bitter because God has dealt bitterly with me. May that Naomi among us, man or woman, know that the delight of your love towards them today and the power of your hand at work for them today. Wherever there is among us one like Ruth, Lord, who feels as though we are a foreigner, whether we were born in a foreign land or we just find ourselves in the midst of a situation that seems foreign, may we, Lord, receive favor from you. May we, Lord, show loyalty to you the way that Ruth showed loyalty to you. Enable us to follow you, Lord, the way she followed you so that you would be glorified and that the legacy that you desire in our lives would be brought forth. Lord, may we be like Boaz, willing to step out in faith and take a risk, eager to show loyalty and love to those whose paths you cross with ours and ready to believe that you, O Lord God of Israel, are Lord of all the earth, that you are good, that your word is real, and that your word matters to us. We come to you today, Lord, as people of need, as people of praise, as people of repentance, as people perhaps in a place of confusion or in need of direction. And we trust that your word speaks, that your spirit lives, that your son saves and that your name is the name above all other names. Give us guidance today, Lord God, wisdom, and help us turn our lives into a legacy for you. Amen. Amen. And just like that, as quickly as it had begun, it ended." Have you ever heard that phrase before? Just like that, as soon as it had started, it ended. It could be applied to a great many things, but in fact today, I'm applying it to our sermon series. Only four parts, only four chapters in the story of Ruth. We've just read the last one, we've read it all, and just like that, it seems almost as quickly as we had begun, or at least it seems that way to me, In the matter of a little over a month, we have concluded our reading of the book of Ruth. And maybe if you're someone who is really interested in being enriched by the word, you've been reading it on your own. I hope you have. That would be wonderful. You still can. Read the book of Ruth this week if you haven't read it on your own yet. It's only four chapters. As soon as you sit down to read it, just like that, it'll be done. It doesn't take long. It happened a long time ago, yes. Back in the days of the judges. Back in the days when according to the word of God, everyone did according to what was right in their own eyes. But that's not so long ago. That's today, is it not? That's the way people live today. We might as well be living in those days because we can relate to that approach to life. And therefore, this story, this story of Ruth, a wonderful love story, a wonderful short story of God's word, is a real story of God's people. It hasn't taken us long to go through the book of Ruth, but I desire that the book of Ruth would go through us, that there would be something resident and remaining, that there would be a legacy for you and I from having studied this book as indeed there's a legacy always, whenever we are reading in the word of the Lord and meditating on it and praying in it. I've just completed since the beginning of this year, reading through the entire Bible. And that was a bit of a, a, you know, I set a bit of a challenge for myself. It's not that much of a challenge, but it meant quite a bit of reading in a busy time. But I tell you, I have so enjoyed this very compressed experience of the word of the Lord. There are things that you can experience when you read the word of the Lord very in a a short period of time that maybe you wouldn't experience if you were reading it over longer periods of time and vice versa, you just can't go wrong. If you wanna take a a, a single book of scripture and spend a dedicated and elongated period of time in it, you're going to be rewarded. In fact, as we begin our new PSOM class today, yeah, here's the plug, don't tune out. This has to do with you. These stories matter to you. I'm doing a class on the minor prophets and most of these books, these 12 prophets, they're, they're, they're called the scroll of the 12 because their books are so tiny that just like that, as soon as they begin, they're over, but they're so meaningful. You know, it's like a pill, it just fits in the palm of your hand. But once it's been imbibed, once it's been taken into you, it can do miraculous things. They called it the scroll of the twelve because all twelve of these so-called minor prophets, minor not in terms of their influence, but in terms of the length of their books, were fitted onto a single scroll in ancient times. It was economical to do so. It was efficient to do so. We're going to be studying the the minor prophets. And so every week we're going to take a couple of those books and just spend some time on them. And, And in the week in between our sessions, we're going to be asking students to read in them. Why not do that yourself? And maybe you already do. Well, enjoy that and enrich yourself in the Word because even a single verse is sufficient to provide for you and I meditative content, prayer content. You could spend years on a single verse. But I also want to remind you of how valuable it is that we have some context for all those verses, some context for all those stories. And so reading the entirety of Scripture is really valuable. And I guess I'm just trying to inspire you a little bit that if you haven't read through the Bible yet, you can do it. You can do it. Read through the entire Bible. Get a sense of the full scope of the story of God because that story matters to you. In fact, it's the most important story and your story really is part of this story. And sometimes we need a little bit of reminding from the Lord of that reality. Sometimes the stories here really help us understand our own stories better. In fact, I think that's very often the idea. And so it is with the book of Ruth. So it's a short story, but it's a powerful one. And it has a legacy to give to us. Now, this series, as you know, is called the Ruth Regency. And I've called it that because it refers to a certain aspect. I'm gonna need somebody in the booth to help me because my, my controller isn't working. What a sad state of life when your remote control doesn't work. Do you ever have that happen to you at home? All of a sudden, it's like you're a drifted sea, right? I said to my son this week, why do they make machines that can only operate with a remote control? Remember when every machine had buttons right on it? Now nothing has buttons on it. I guess I'm really aging myself by saying this. In any case, coming back to the subject of our teaching, the Ruth Regency is called this, and I recognize, as I've said before, I'm taking some liberty with the term Regency, but it's because the idea of a Regency is that when there is a monarch, who is going to be ruling, a sovereign that is, like a king or queen, but they haven't yet come of age. Or in this instance, they haven't even yet come into the world. There is still the need for the preparation for their rule. And so what we see in the story of Ruth is a woman who, though she doesn't know it, God knows that out of her faithfulness, out of her loyalty, her diligent dedication to labor, out of her love and the love that she experiences with a man named Boaz, there is going to come a legacy and that legacy is the establishment of a king. We heard it already this morning, didn't we? She and Boaz come together, they have a child and out of that child comes another child and out of that child comes another child until ultimately what we realize is that Ruth is this great-grandmother of David and this great-great-great-great-great-grandmother of Jesus the Christ. In other words, think about this, really lay hold of this, the story of Ruth's life is the story of Jesus coming into the world. I I, I saw an old advertising campaign from, I think it was from Apple computers, from decades ago, I think I'm quoting it correctly, I hope. Something to the effect of the people who have the audacity to think that they can change the world are the people who do. Did Ruth think she had the audacity to believe that she could change the world? I don't know. I think she was just trying to survive. Well, I won't ask for a show of hands, but I'll raise mine. Trying to survive. I can relate to that in these days. And you know what? It's a good goal to have. I want you to survive. Many people right now feel like they are going under the waves. They feel like they're going under the water. They feel like, this is it, I can't keep holding on any longer. Yes, you can. You know why? Because someone is holding on to you. And just like Ruth, you may not be able to see everything about what he's doing, but you can believe that he is there. You know one of the idiosyncrasies about the book of Ruth is that God is hardly mentioned And yet he's absolutely pivotal to the story. I think it is part of the author's intent, the human author and the Holy Spirit author, to remind us that in the everyday survival of our lives, the Lord is present. And for those who will trust in him, press into him, lean on him, reach out for him, they are going to find his arm already reaching out to them. I felt a prophetic sense from the Lord this morning to say to you, survive, keep your faith alive, keep yourself strong in the Lord and let the Lord strengthen you. These words will come back to you in the time in which you need them. Not because of anything I have to contribute, except that I am here to contribute what God has contributed to me. Simply to say to you, the Lord is with you. He is for you and not against you. He will help you to sustain. He will keep you afloat. He is not saying you're not going to go through hard times. He's saying, I'm going to go through them with you. A regency is a period of time in which there is a person, we call them a regent, who's governing in the place of a king or queen to come, in order for the kingdom values to advance. Now, I want you to think of regency in a different way. That's before the arrival of a king. But how about after? What is it that Boaz said to the people when he was taking off the sandal? By the way, that is a great way. Imagine if you didn't have to sign all of those escrow papers, you just say, here we go, we're done. Right? He said, you are my witnesses. And if you listen, you can hear Jesus. That's how we know that Boaz, though he's a real man, a man just like you or me, or woman like you in the sense of a human being like you, okay? He was a dude, but he was a human being. So man or woman, you can relate to Boaz, to Ruth. And why? Because they're people just like us, but God was showing up in them and working through them. And so when Boaz is saying, You're my witnesses that I'm making this covenant. I hear Jesus and I recognize that Boaz becomes a symbol of Jesus. Jesus saying, you are my witnesses in the same way that Jesus says, you are my bride. I'm paying the price and taking upon myself the cost. What did did the other relative say? There's a relative that was closer in relationship to Ruth and to Naomi who could have been married to Ruth, but he said, no, I can't bear the cost of that. Why? Well, Maybe, maybe it was the cost of taking on another wife because he already had one. Maybe it was the idea that if I have children with her, then my own existing children aren't going to receive what I want them to receive. Maybe it was just, I don't want to take on the cost of a new household. Whatever was going through that relative's mind, he wasn't willing to make the sacrifice. But even as was said during our time of worship today, and it's so important, it really struck me when I heard this, Jesus chose to go to the cross for you. And that's Jesus taking off his shoes and saying, I choose you, I claim you, you are my bride. And now you are my witnesses. Have the audacity to believe that God wants to use you to change the world for the better according to his plans and purposes. Let your life be a regency too, in the sense that though Jesus has gone to the right hand of the Father and is sitting on the throne there, he has enthroned you and I here on earth. And he hasn't enthroned us here on earth in order for us to privilege ourselves with every kind of pleasure, but instead to dedicate ourselves to the very things we see in Ruth, to loyalty to him who's been loyal to us to labor in the fields of the Lord of the harvest and to love the Lord who first loved us and to allow his legacy to be lived out in us. I don't suppose that Ruth could possibly have imagined that the Messiah was going to come to earth through her physical offspring. And I don't suppose that you and I can imagine everything that God has intended to accomplish through your life. But let me tell you something. Our theme today is legacy. You have a legacy. It is absolutely a fact. The question is not whether you will leave a legacy or not. The question is what legacy are we leaving? Because every day that we are living we are leaving a legacy by our living, by the words that we say and don't say, by the actions that we take or don't take, by the people that we are. You are living a legacy. Let the Lord's legacy be lived out in you, amen. I see a control coming to me, what a blessed thing. Thank you. I haven't just been treading water here, thank you brother. This is the message. <laughs> Let's look back at these four chapters that we've been looking at in the weeks prior. And if you haven't been with us throughout the series, don't worry, it's a simple enough story to tell that you can be even caught up today. But of course, you can go back and look at these messages uh, online as well. This family that Ruth ultimately married into was a family that knew the faith of the Lord. Yes, they were living in Israel in the days of the Judges. And remember from our study of that book of Judges what we learned, that during that time, over and over again, the people of the Lord turned away from the Lord. The Judges' cycle, do you remember it? I hope so. You remember it? Tell me if you do. The Judges' cycle is what? That as they grew comfortable because God was providing for them, they grew complacent, they grew interested in idols, They began to rely on other things. And if there's anything else that you and I rely upon, it becomes an idol in our life. And as they turned towards those idols, and as they turned towards the false gods of the lands around them, lands like Moab where Ruth actually came from, then God gave them over to that life because there's no way that you can experience the blessing of God. So their legacy became one of problems. They experienced um, animosity and enmity from the, the nation groups around them, wars and fighting and internal strife, internecine struggle, I like to say. That is to say brother against brother, tribe against tribe. That was happening in the days of Judges, right? That was happening in the days of Naomi. And what else? Famine. And so famine came to the, to the, name, the place named for bread, Bethlehem, where Naomi, And her husband, Elimelech, lived. Elimelech, whose very name means God is king. But the king wasn't providing what they needed. Why? Because the people had turned away from him. And so even among the people of Israel, there were some who said, I have to find what I need somewhere else. But the irony of that is that's how it began. That in itself is idolatry. So Elimelech and the family, Elimelech and Naomi, they go to the land of Moab because at least in Moab at that time, there doesn't seem to be famine. But you know what they find in the land of Moab? A land of loss, a land of death. Elimelech dies. And the sons of Naomi and Elimelech, even though they marry Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth, they, these men, die. And so Naomi discovers extraordinary loss. Finally, the story is told to her that there is now grain in the land of Israel, that Bethlehem, the house of bread that she came from, has grain to make bread again. And so she returns. But maybe she's a little ashamed of the fact that her son's married in to this uh, foreign family. It's not any kind of racist sensibility of the Scripture. Make no mistake about that. That's not the intent here it is a recognition perhaps on her part that since the word of the lord said don't marry into these other groups because these other groups are given over to other gods and if you marry into these other groups given over to other gods then those other gods which are no gods at all but have demonic influence are going to enchain you and imprison you in the lack and the want of that kind of life now that naomi's coming back maybe she thinks Maybe it's not so good for me to come back with two daughters from Moab. And she probably presumes, as she actually explicitly says to them, there's not going to be much for you in my homeland. So why don't I go to my homeland of Israel, and you two go back to where you came from. But Ruth says no. She is the friend that loves at all times. The very name Ruth means friendship. And she also has discovered through this family, and this encourages me, because the family doesn't seem extraordinarily faithful and yet they do have faith. Otherwise, how would Ruth have learned of it? Ruth has learned through their faith, as weak as it may be, that God is real and that God of Israel is strong. And she puts her trust in him and through her loyalty, she follows Naomi into Israel, into Bethlehem, right at the time of the barley harvest. And in chapter two, she goes to work. She says, I am gonna go find somewhere that I can work in this harvest, even though that's an unusual occupation for a woman at that time. And it's really heavy duty manual labor, but she's willing to labor for that, not only to care for herself, but for her elderly mother-in-law widowed as well. And so she ends up in the field of her own kinsman, though she doesn't know that. A nobleman named Boaz, whose name means strength is in him, or in him is might not only a recognition of the strength of character of Boaz but also the fact that Boaz puts his trust in the Lord and in him there is strength and might and so Naomi goes to work excuse me Ruth goes to work providing for herself and Naomi and when she does so she comes back to tell her mother-in-law i met a very generous man who not only allowed me to work among his workers in the field but who gave me what a meal of bread and wine The very meal that you and I have partaken of today is the kind of meal that Boaz gave to Ruth. Once again, you see the symbolism of these real people whose real stories also really illustrate something even grander. God giving himself to us. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you and I recognized that the ways in which we reach out with help towards others are ways in which we are feeding people with the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Communion is a sacred sacrament, but you know what? Giving kindness and attention and help to others, giving any kind of food, giving any kind of clothing, giving any kind of material resource, praying with people, encouraging people in the name of the Lord, those are all part of the table of God. Those are all flowing from the cup of the covenant. Those are all things that the Lord sees and the Lord knows and the Lord says, there is a legacy there. Jesus said, if you give a cup of cold water, to a little child or a needy person in my name, it will by no means be forgotten. Every person on earth might forget it. No one else on earth might even know about it, but God knows, God sees, and God cares. God looks at you, at your story, and he says, this story matters to me. You matter to God and your kindness to any one of his creation. Any other person made in his image will by no means be forgotten. It is a legacy. Live that legacy. Let the love of Jesus show up and shine through you. I read an article in the Atlantic this week that said, why are the times so crazy? Why are people so unhappy? Why are people driving worse on the freeway? It's true. Why are people ruder? in the supermarket or at the Oscars. (laughs) I'm not judging anyone, but what's happening that people are finding it so difficult to live according to, as Abraham Lincoln once said, the better angels of our nature. Remember the old cartoons, there's a devil and an angel. Yeah, you bet the devil comes for you when you're high, when you're low, when things are fine, when they aren't. The devil's always coming. The devil's always charging. But you know what? The Lord is always living. But why are people giving in to the bad guy, to the little red suit? I think it is in part a reflection of the word of the Lord that says in the latter days, the love of many will grow cold. So stir yourself up. And position yourself on your most holy faith. And don't let your love grow cold. Let the breath of the Lord, the spirit of the Lord breathe upon you. And stoke and fan the flames of your faith and the expression of your love. It will be a legacy to God. It will be a legacy for you. Because the legacy of the Lord is love. And the story of Ruth is love. And last time we were in this series on chapter three, we focused on love. We saw how the loyalty of Ruth and her dedicated labor and her patient trust in the Lord all accumulated into this wonderful recipe for love in her life. And not just the arcane idea of love in the abstract, but she found her prince. She found this great dude who has lots of resource, but even better, lots of love for her and a willingness to receive her into into his home. And on her part, a desire to be one with him. Now she has gone through all kinds of loss, but what the Lord shows her is if you will patiently persist in faith, I will turn that loss into a legacy and where there has been something of hardship and pain and sorrow and death, I will bring life and renewal and redemption and joy. And in the midst of that, by the way, a savior. So as the story concludes in chapter four, we see this actually work out. There's already a happy ending for Ruth, but there's something even better. Ruth's happy ending is the beginning of a real and righteous monarchy in Israel. In fact, the reason this book was probably written is because by the time that David is grown and becomes king, there are two questions to be answered. One is, where does this guy come from? And two, if we find out that he comes from a grandmother, a great-grandmother that's a Moabite, and the word of the Lord says, don't marry with those people, how can that be right? And here, what God is saying is, I can make even the wrong thing right. Not only does he come from Ruth the Moabite, but he also comes from Rahab the prostitute. And in fact, in this chapter four, when they are describing how this is also the offshoot of the tribe of Judah, it is through Tamar, a woman who had to trick her father-in-law to sleeping with her. Oh my gosh, you see, you gotta read the Bible because there's some wild stories in there, man. You gotta find out what's going on with that. You can find that in the book of Genesis. What you find throughout the entire Bible is that God says, I will take people who are disadvantaged, disfavored, who look like they are on the outside and I will bring them in. But if my own people who belong to me and called by my name turn away from me, then they go out. But even if they go out, I open a door for them to come back. And maybe that's you today. Maybe Jesus is saying to you, look, I've opened the door for you to come in, for you to come back, because I have a legacy I want to live out through you. And it's not just about you. Have you ever gotten to that place where you think, maybe as a believer, it's easy to think this, or if not easy, it's possible. I'm done. Not with the sermon, don't get too excited but just feeling like I can't do this anymore. As we said earlier, I give up, just take me home. Just take me to heaven, you're gonna go there. In fact, if you would come like Ruth and just lay down at his feet and rest in him, you might realize something. Believe it or not, you're already there. The kingdom of heaven is within you. But it's about more than just you. You don't see how important your life is, but he does. Have the audacity to believe that God's love for you can work through you to change the world for the good. Do you see how what a little action can create so much negative reaction? Now let me tell you this, the good is always more powerful than the bad. Every single one of us has slipped up and done the thing in a split second that ruined so many other things. And the legacy of that can be long and have long legs, but love covers a multitude of sins. A good word is better than many bad ones. And a good God is better than everything else. The legacy of the Lord that he wants for you and I is to become the people who are called by his name. If you go onto the website this week, you can download this slide. It's a review of things we've already talked about in this series, but it's really a worthy way of remembering many of the things that we've seen as we've read through the four chapters of Ruth. How almost every name, place name, person name, that shows up in the story has so much significance in its meaning to what God is doing in the midst of the story. Well, we've talked about these things, and I'm not going to belabor them except for the two last names on this list. Obed, the child born to Boaz and Ruth, it means serving. In other words, in all their experience of loss and hardship and challenge, and in the patience of their faith, when the Lord brings about this wonderful fruitfulness and they can finally say, to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and his name shall be serving. Because what we have learned is we want to serve the Lord. And we want to raise up a generation that serves. I pray that PCF would be a people who produces spiritual offspring by the spirit of the Lord, whose names are all Obed. (laughs) Amen? Who serve in the spirit and who serve up the spirit in the things of the Lord. You and I have been served by the body and blood of Christ today. Now let the spirit of that servant be in you. Let that same spirit that was in Christ Jesus be in you. And Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life. Let me paraphrase, as a legacy, a legacy for you and I. But you know what you experience in that when you give yourself to the Lord in that way? You experience his love. The child that ultimately comes out of this line, David, means beloved. So there's three things. I'm not going to go through the text of the chapter. We've already read it. But there's three things I want to say in conclusion about this final chapter and also as a kind of summary of the story of Ruth. One is we saw Ruth putting her patient trust in not only the Lord but in Boaz when he comes before the people and says, I want to marry the widow of the dead. Not necessarily the bride you would expect, but the bride that he chose. I'm gonna rush through uh, these other slides here because I have the text of the chapter, but we've read it. So I'm gonna come to my concluding summary. Through the labor of love in your life and mine, not just in the story of Ruth, there is a real legacy which God brings forth. A seed is a legacy. It's planted, it's tended, and it produces a harvest. When you and I are living in the ways of the love of the Lord, the love of the Lord is like a seed that produces a harvest. Wherever there has been loss, wherever the locust has come, the enemy has come to devour and destroy, where there's been grief, where there's been loss, It doesn't erase those realities, but it does replace them with a greater legacy of God's love. And that calls us to a kind of loyalty. The loyalty that says, I am going to stick with God. No matter how tough the going gets, I'm gonna keep going forward with God. No matter how weary I may feel, I'm gonna keep on reminding myself, declaring, for myself, for my household, among my church, that God is faithful, that God is good all the time and all the time God is good. And so even if there is burden, you can count it a blessing because if you are walking with God who has already called you, you can be sure that God is walking with you. And remember what Jesus said, my yoke is yours. Jesus is the stronger party. He is pulling for us and he is bringing us into the place of greatest blessing. In the days in which Jesus was with his earthly disciples, they often argued among themselves, which one of us is greatest? And they would try to lay claim to that on the basis of the things that the world calls great. But what Jesus said was, if you really wanna be great, then you really must serve. Leadership begins with serving. Regency is about serving. Love is about serving. It isn't easy, it is costly, but he has already paid the price to lay hold of you and given us his spirit by which we can lay hold of him. So, just like Ruth, when we entrust our lives into the Lord's hands, we will experience by God's grace and God's grace alone, but through those mechanisms that he builds into into our life of loyalty, of labor, of love from and in him, a divine legacy, and it will live beyond you. You have eternity in the kingdom, but you also have the opportunity to affect the world and the kingdom in an eternal way because the eternal God has said, I want to use you. You are to be my witnesses. Will you let him? Will you take your shoes off today? Do that even right now if you can. Take your shoes off. Remember when Joshua encountered the angel of the Lord, the commander of the armies of heaven, I would say none other than Jesus, and Jesus said to him, take off your shoes. Why? Because you are on holy ground. Your life is holy ground. It belongs to God. You belong to God. You've been bought at a price. Recognize the sacred value of your life. Not so that you can make yourself out to be grander and grander, but so you can give yourself up to more and more of serving others without any thought for yourself because you belong to him and his heart in you is to show love to one another. Lord, we want that divine legacy to live within us and even to live beyond us. Not that we don't have eternity with you, but what we mean by that, Lord, what I mean by that, what I believe my brothers and sisters would pray with me today is that the ripples that work out from our lives into this ocean of the world would all reflect you. There's so many times in so many ways when we've thrown stones into the waters of the world by the action of our lives that have produced profoundly negative ripples. But Lord, we believe that the greater wave of your love is what rolls forth from us now. And that's what we desire, that's what we ask, that we would be a blessing to the whole world, not for our glory, not even that anybody need know our name, but that your name would be known, that your love would be seen, that your salvation would be received, and that people everywhere would come to you. Now, Lord, we with humble bare feet, we kneel our hearts before you and we say, thank you for forgiving our sins. We usually say that, thank you for forgiving my sins, Jesus. Help me to live righteously for you. Thank you for saving my soul. Thank you for giving me your spirit. Let me be your servant. Let me be your servant to others. May your love shine through me. Let my life be a legacy for you. And Jesus said, yes, I will do that. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. Hallelujah.